Hello, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Karen Long, manager of the Annisfield Wolf Book Awards at the Cleveland Foundation. We are proud partners to the City Club and glad to be part of the, this virtual forum this Thursday, June 17th, right in the middle of Pride Month. This is a season to recognize the rich contributions to all our lives made by members of the LGBTQ communities, as well as the specific challenges these communities face. Members in the recent Annisfield Wolf Canon include the poet Jericho Brown, the historian Lillian Vaderman, the journalist Andrew Solomon, and the science fiction icon Samuel R. Delaney. Earlier this year, the advocacy organization GLAD released its annual Where We Are on TV report. The findings? For the first time in five years, the overall representation of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer characters on television decreased. With that step back, there was also a step forward. The racial diversity of queer characters on television increased. So how do we do storytelling entities, the media, television, film, literature, art, and culture create accurate and rich portrayals of members of the LGBTQ communities? And more specifically, is there accurate representation and visibility in Northeast Ohio? Leading our conversation is Lauren Welch, Marketing and Communications Manager at the LGBT Community Center of Greater Cleveland. Lauren will introduce our panel. Lauren? For having us all here today. As she said, I'm Lauren R. Welch. I am joining you live from the LGBT Community Center of Greater Cleveland in the beautiful uh, Gordon Square Arts District. I go by she, her, hers. And I am joined by the fabulous Deidre McPherson and Ken Schneck. Deidre McPherson is an independent arts consultant, creative producer, brand experience expert, and community advocate who has held leadership roles in education at the Cleveland Museum of Art and Museum of Contemporary Art Cleveland. At both institutions, she was responsible for producing and managing a range of events and programs designed to make the museum a vibrant, socially relevant, and welcoming destination. Deidre was also founding director of Sister Cinema Cleveland, a monthly film and dialogue series that centered queer women of color, for which she was named one of Cleveland Magazine's most interesting people and received the City of Cleveland's LGBT Heritage Awards in Arts and Culture. Ken Schneck is the editor of The Buckeye Flame, Ohio's LGBTQ plus news and views digital platform. He is also the author of Seriously, What Am I Doing Here? The Adventures of Wandering and Wandering Gay Jew, LGBTQ Cleveland, LGBTQ Columbus, and LGBTQ Cincinnati. For 10 years, he was the host of This Show is So Gay, the nationally syndicated radio show. In his spare time, he is the professor of education at Baldwin-Wallace University and teaches courses in ethical leadership, anti-racism, and how individuals can work with communities to make just and meaningful change. Thank you, Deidre and Ken, for being here today. Thank you, Lauren. And happy Thank Pride. Happy, happy Pride. pride. <laughs> 
I know I get to see you both often, um, but I don't think people understand how amazing you both are and all the amazing work you do in the community, just individually and collectively. Um, and I'm just gonna get right into it. You know, uh, when we're talking about visibility, you know, I wanna frame this conversation around Northeast Ohio and Ohio because um, I think it's one thing for people to look at what's happening nationally and not connect the dots about what's happening regionally. Um, but there is some complexities and some significant of the L significance of the LGBTQ plus community here. Um, according to the Movement Advancement Project, Ohio has a total population of 462K LGBTQ plus individuals with 5% of those people making up the workforce. Now we know that those numbers are a lot larger than what is actually being reported. Uh, and there's some people who just haven't come out yet. Can you touch a little bit on your own experiences as members of the community in Northeast Ohio, especially as individuals who have kind of boomeranged from other spaces or just rooted yourself here? Well, I'll, I'll kick off. Thanks so much. It's, a, it's an honor to be here with both of you and, of course, to be here with the City Club. Um, I am a, a church baby, uh, so I grew up in, in Cleveland Heights and I attended um, Antioch Baptist Church and um, was really immersed in, in the Black church growing up, um, and I thank my parents for that. Um, it, it took me leaving Cleveland and kind of going on that, that journey of self-discovery and just living in bigger cities to kind of grow into myself and really see uh, affirming uh, examples of LGBT folks in other, in larger cities. I was in Boston, I was in Washington, DC. And, um, and then I, I came back like around 2009. Uh, and so that was um, really transformative for me because um, it took me kind of leaving and then coming back because I didn't really feel like I could be my true self. But you know, those weren't examples that I saw growing up. Uh, and so you mentioned in my bio, the part about sister cinema, when I came back in 2009, um, I really felt like there was a gap in, in, my, in my social life here. Um, it, was, it was difficult to meet other queer women of color. And it wasn't until I discovered that platform, Sister Cinema, which was this monthly film series happening in Seattle and another, Seattle and Los Angeles. And I said, we really need something like that here in Cleveland. You know, as a queer woman of color, I can, I work in a really, uh, you know, predominantly white institution, or I, I, I join a, a social group that's predominantly black folks, but there's not a space where I really felt like I could be all of myself. And so Sister Cinema creating that platform for Cleveland uh, where we were getting together to talk about films and, and the experiences and the stories of queer women of color uh, through film that really transformed things for me and created a space that uh, was much needed. Um, and so that, that, that we still have, you know, some gaps in our, in our experience now. And I think, you know, we're starting to see some changes, uh, especially when you look at things like Pride and the CLE, so. Which we'll touch on a little bit later. Uh, what about you, Ken? How was your experience um, and has been your experience being um, a gay man in Northeast Ohio, especially you boomerang? You, you, you were rooted here. You weren't from here, right? Correct? Not even remotely. And, and yeah. I want to say thanks to you. Uh, what a great opportunity. I mean, I understand that we're doing a city club thing, but I like that I just get to hang out with you too. I know. <laughs> Apparently there are people watching, but whatever. It's <laughs> 
yeah, no, I grew up uh, right outside of New York City in New Jersey, um, and I moved into New York City. Uh, you could see the Empire State Building from our temple, so really right outside New York City. Uh, moved into New York City when I was 18. Turns out there's a ton of gay people in New York City, uh, and so that was, that was my life for a really long time, uh, for most of my professional life. And then I moved up to Vermont uh, in 2007 and lived in Vermont for six years. And you know, if I thought that that New York City was pretty LGBTQ affirming, uh, Vermont is kind of next level. Uh, and they were pioneering civil unions at the time. Uh, this was before marriage equality. And then I saw this position uh, for a professor position here in Cleveland. I had never been to Cleveland, uh, could not have picked it out on a map, uh, certainly had never been to the Midwest. I flew through Chicago once, that was exciting. Uh, but that was pretty much it. And so I drove that seven plus hours from Brattleboro, Vermont to Cleveland. Um, and as I often say, I wasn't thinking that I was going to be leaving all of these LGBTQ rights and protections behind in my rearview mirror. Uh, and I left them behind in Vermont where I had full protections uh, and then landed here in Cleveland, uh, you know, without those protections here in Ohio for um, housing and employment and public accommodations. I came here for the professor gig. Uh, I did not come here to start an LGBTQ publication. I did not come here to write LGBTQ books, uh, but it just felt right here. Uh, it, it felt like the kind of place where you, you could make a difference um, and I could explore uh, that part of my identity and, and maybe use my voice to, to lift up other underrepresented voices. So um, certainly a big cultural adjustment uh, for in, in acceptance and really just legal protections uh, from Vermont, New York City to Cleveland. Uh, but also, you know, it's, there's been a lot of opportunities as well. Absolutely. And, you know, there's there's all these different themes that I feel like are coming out. There's this level of um, where are we at, which I'm hearing from Deidre, which I think was a, my similar experience as well. Moving back home from Los Angeles, you kind of had to really, really, really find uh, queer people of color, queer folks in general. Um, and then there's this other part of the, the rights and protections that we continue to have to fight for, particularly in this state. <laughs> Um, and, you know, one of the things I found interesting producing, um, you know, the Pride in the CLE uh, special on WKYC, which can you were a part of, um, there were different people of different ages and backgrounds who had similar stories of their first pride or their first experiences being community with people in Ohio was in Columbus. Mm. Can either you kind of touch on the significance of why that may have been. So I, I wish I had a theory for that, but I remember when I first <laughs> moved back to when I first moved back to Cleveland and I was ready to experience, you know, going to our pride. Um, I was really disappointed when I went downtown <laughs> at first. I thought it was small, it was sad, and um, I had had the experience of going to Pride in San Francisco, which is like you know the mecca. So um, when, I, when I experienced Cleveland's Pride, I was a little disappointed. So I had a similar experience. It took going to Columbus for me to experience a really vibrant, large scale Pride event in the Midwest. And I was shocked to find out that Columbus had one of the largest Prides, if not the largest Pride um, in, in the Midwest or something like that, even more so than Chicago. Um, obviously there's been a huge shift in our pride event. And um, I think the LGBT community center of greater Cleveland's played a huge role in that since it's 
the hub of LGBT culture in Cleveland um, in, in transforming that event into one that more closely resembles the energy and the excitement we had when the International Gay Games were in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Like when that happened in 2014, I think we, we picked up where that left off and um, started to bring that, that strategy, that thoughtfulness, the funding, the inclusivity of you know, the corporations, all the community organizations and just way more involvement. And so it's just been a tremendous improvement in our, our city's pride event and, and that helps to, to steward our culture in a, in a much better way. Yeah, I, I, had the, I had the wonderful opportunity just to, in putting together the LGBTQ Cleveland book to, to talk to uh, so many of our just incredible LGBTQ elders, um, you know, and there were many years uh, between really 77, 1977 and 1989 where there wasn't a Cleveland pride. Uh, and so Columbus was the only route. Um, but we also know just from people's anecdotal experiences that they would go to Columbus uh, because they could be out and proud on the streets um, and not fear for being picked up by a news camera uh, and, and have their employer find out or have their insurance agency find out or have their families uh, find out uh, that they were indeed uh, a member of the LGBTQ community. So uh, I know from those early days, Columbus was nothing but an opportunity. I oddly had the almost opposite route where for all the years that I lived in New York City, I'm telling you, I never once went to New York City Pride because I was doing that whole counterculture thing where it's like every day is pride. Um, and so I just, for I, I was dug in and I didn't go. And so Cleveland's Pride was actually my first pride uh, in my, in my mid thirties. Uh, so it was glorious. Uh, I, I had zero comparison data. I loved it. Wow. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I always think about when it comes to visibility is, you know, there was a story from John Leon Stevens around like being able to see people uh, for pride in 2016 going across the bridge and the significance wow. of that um, on um, elderly, queer individuals, the youth, no matter where you were, um, age, background or whatever seeing, you know, the, a lot of people rallying together for the community was huge for them um, in 2016. And, but I do want to touch a little bit on something that you were talking about, Ken, around uh, what it means to actually come to something like that. Uh, people wanting to participate because they, you know, or not want to participate because they didn't want to be out to their employers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I do want to get into that a little bit because we, we often in this region, and I know it's not, you know, new to or, you know, different from any other, you know, region, but we do do this thing where we tap the same people over and over again. But then I also think we tap the same people over and over again because these are just the people who happen to be out and visible, like both of you just being hyper visible. And I really want to um, hear from you what that is like to be hyper visible um, as queer individuals, um, and what has that kind of talked to you about the culture, navigating the culture, um, and advocating for the culture? Wow. So I, when I started Sister Cinema, you know, years ago, and, and Sister Cinema is no longer operational, but I'm, I'm going to reference it often because um, it was such a unique program, and uh, we, we do need things like that. I think there are things like that coming into fruition, uh, but. When I started that, it was it was really because you know there wasn't 
anything going on. And it was some, a space that I, you know, desperately needed. So, um, and that our community desperately needed. So I think, um, you know, it, repeat that question again for me. <laughs> yeah, what's the significance of being hyper visible? You know, because I think that what ends up happening is either they, this community, uh, Northeast Ohio, either taps the same people or they, they're not doing their homework around um, trying to find other queer folks because um, they, they're just so used to seeing the same people. And I'm just wondering about the weight that has on both of you and what that has meant for you. And what I'm hearing from you is that it compels you to start an organization that could bring more people to the fold who could be themselves. But I don't know if Absolutely. you want to touch more on that. Yeah. Absolutely. Because when, when I was doing Sister Cinema, we were inviting various thought leaders and, um, and various thought leaders who are out and proud to participate in, in facilitating and, and leading conversations uh, about members of the queer women of color community. So whether it was um, Latinx or we're talking about transgender community or any anything, um, we were inviting various thought leaders to participate in that conversation and trying to bring visibility to those who are who are doing the work every day and who are walking the walk and and really setting that example of um, living their truth uh, and and being affirmational. So uh, for me, I think our you know responsibility is just to continue to live our truth um, and and hopefully others will as well. So that um, you know I don't feel like you're the only one <laughs> out here advocating. But there there are definitely a lot of people doing um, outstanding work uh, in in this realm. So absolutely. And Ken, can you talk a bit about you know, the Buckeye Flame, how it came about um, as someone who is hyper-visible and, and the significance of telling queer stories and, and having queer writers represent it. Yeah, so the Buckeye Flame was actually born during the pandemic. We're, we're going to celebrate our one-year anniversary in six days, which is just bizarre, and I don't understand that at all. Um, but it was, it was born out of a, a, another LGBTQ Ohio publication, um, but with a much different purpose. You know, when I was working for the previous publication, this is a, a fun little anecdote of we, we covered uh, this Martin Luther King breakfast in, in a major Ohio city. Uh, and at this Martin Luther King breakfast, it was sponsored by the city. Uh, two queer black protesters were physically dragged, I mean, dragged out by the police. And it was on video uh, and, and it was a peaceful demonstration that they were doing um, to, to disrupt uh, and call attention uh, to police brutality. And so these, these two queer protesters were uh, imprisoned uh, and there was an individual who was raising bail money for them. And so I did an interview with that individual and uh, I, I posted it and it was all factual. It was all on video. And the response I got back from the publisher was, you really, you did not represent the opinions of the police as much. And I was kind of like, all right, but we're an LGBTQ publication, you know? And so that, that was pretty fresh in my mind when that publication went under during the pandemic, uh, a group of us got together and said, we can't live in a state where there's no LGBTQ publication. That just can't happen because there's so much going down across the state and outside of, the, outside of Cleveland, Cincinnati and Columbus. Um, but it has to be a different model. It, it has to be something different. Uh, and so we very deliberately formed as a nonprofit because uh, we wanted as a 501c3 to have our readers be the publisher uh, and to have our readers be invested in that way and make sure that we had queer storytellers. Um, 
I will say that I'm sitting in a place and, and trying to lean into a place of, of great conflict right now uh, for me being visible. Uh, this is an incredible Pride Month and I'm thrilled that so many different organizations are adding these LGBTQ uh, presentations to their lunch and learns and, and it's wonderful and, and I'm, I'm thrilled with that. At the same time, uh, I'm a ridiculously privileged gay white male and so I know that I am being disproportionately asked to do things because of that status. Uh, and uh, and you, you both have heard this anecdote because I've shared it uh, offline, but one corporation called me uh, last week and they were, it's their first time doing it. It's their first time doing an LGBTQ lunch and learn for you know their, their lunch hour. I'm like, great, this is awesome. Uh, but flat out said to me that this was a big deal for them, but they think they can pull it off because uh, I appear very palatable. And that word palatable was so, I mean, that was not even a dog whistle. That was, you know, that was just a bullhorn. Um, and so I'm, I'm hyper-conscious of the space that I'm taking up. Uh, and I also have my concerns about when I do turn things down and try to suggest other names, I've seen those events just dropped as well, right? And not for that reason, right? Like I'm not, I'm not taking that much responsibility for this. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I, it's, it's a, it's a place of conflict. It's, it's, it's a struggle of mine. How I can better push back appropriately um, and make sure that I myself have this list of people and just say, okay, well, here's here, here are all these different people that you can call upon um, because I, I do have that responsibility as well. So yeah, it's a. Uh, I've never been this exhausted um, during Pride Month, uh, which is great, uh, but also um, I do think that there are things that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. Yeah, and I totally understand that. You know, it, it's, and both and, right? We we need people in spaces. Um, it's great that you're being tapped and it's great that, you know, white gay men are being tapped for these um, programs. We need that perspective. Obviously, I can't, I, I can't, I don't have your experience, right? So that there's some significance. The other part of that is it's super, super important um, for you to be in spaces to advocate and be an ally, right? And I think people forget that, like, even within the community, we have to be allies for one another. Um, and I do want to touch on the pandemic because there are these things that have um, emerged out of the pandemic. Obviously, the Buckeye Flame emerged out of the pandemic, but what we were also seeing was this racial uprising, right? And we're talking about Black Lives Matter. And then it's interesting to continue to have conversations about Black Lives Matter because I'm sure Deidre uh, and you can can attest to this. We're always like, but they it, it, unless all lives, all Black Lives Matter, right? Like. <laughs> Continuing to have to explain to people that unless you are advocating for LGBTQ plus individuals as well or other marginalized Black folks, then um, it becomes kind of hollow for you to just say Black Lives Matter. And so I do want to touch a bit on, um, you know, your experiences, Deidre. Um, you were talking about being born and raised in the church. You still in the church, okay? Um, I really want to talk about this experience about being out proud, saved, and sanctified, okay? Because I don't think a lot of people um, hear those experiences. And folks are out here; they're you mm -hmm. know saved, sanctified, love the Lord, um, and they also identify as LGBTQ plus. Can you talk about that a bit? Yes. So as I mentioned, I'm a I'm a church baby, and I grew up. You know, going to church every Sunday, sometimes you know twice a week, and going to vacation Bible school, all those things. 
And so I actually left the church for many years um, because again, I was trying to think about how I can be my full self. And I really didn't feel like I could be out and proud um, in the church. And I, I needed to really be in that space. So I took a, a break from, from that until I really grew to, to love and accept myself. Um, it actually took um, a, a, someone who's a dear friend now, but uh, was, was my partner at the time, um, who introduced me back into the church. Uh, we, it was someone I was dating. We met online and um, of all the churches in Cleveland that she decided to join, it happened to be the one that was my childhood church, uh, Antioch Baptist Church. So um, it was funny that that institution, uh, this you know, very traditional black church was uh, her, her refuge. And so um, that reintroduced me uh, to, to Antioch where I'm now on the pastoral search committee and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm you know, saved again, I'm, I've become a member. Um, it took me a while to get to that place, but I you know, remember that you know, God richly blesses all who call to him. Uh, and that we, I mean, the church is supposed to be a place where that's welcoming and loving for all and that it's traditionally been wrong and it's time for that to evolve. And I think if that were to happen, um, then a lot more people who have been skeptical of the church would consider going back. But I, I fully understand, you know, those of us who are LGBTQ who have not found, felt safe and, and, and that's something that, that desperately needs to change. So I'm hoping that, you know, my faith and my participation um, and my being very visible and being very out uh, will help um, others. Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting how, um, one, I love that no matter what space you're in, you all both are showing up as you are. You're like, this is who I am. This is what you get. <laughs> I think a lot of people know mm -hmm. I'm the exact same way. Um, and it's interesting to constantly, even as much as you show up authentically, having to constantly fight for that authenticity, right? And before we even got on this call, we were talking about um, the Supreme Court decision around foster care. Um, and, you know, I'm just thinking about locally and around the country, you know, um, what it means for us to just have basic rights and protections. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, even just last week, we were on, on the heels of uh, Pride in the CLE, and there was a city in our region who basically didn't even want to declare uh, the month of June as Pride Month. So basic, right? Something so simple that could just be a, a statement of, we see you, we know you're here, we acknowledge you, and yet that was complicated. Uh, what do you think stories like that are telling us? And what do you believe individuals, organizations, policymakers um, can be doing to ensure that everyone has a space and a place where they can be understood um, and have more safe and equitable communities? Yeah, and, and be their whole selves. And, I and think be their that, whole selves. I think that's one of, that's like, the underside of Pride Month, right? Where it's, no, 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 this is the part of your identity that we want you to be able to talk about during this month. And it's not February, that was a while ago, right? Like, so you, you talk about your LGBTQ identity, but we are intersectional beings and, and we're supposed to be able to show up with, with all of that authenticity and complexity and um, nuance. And, and it's, that can be really difficult uh, during Pride Month when especially 
for all these various events or um, all of these different recognitions uh, th that it's just this one part of our identity. And quite frankly, um, I don't know if we're supposed to call out that city, but it was Maple Heights. And that yeah. conversation as the individual, you know, as one of the people who watched those meetings and interacted with some of those council people, that actually was the core argument that they were saying is we can't recognize this month for, and there was problematic language that we, we don't have to surface again, but we can't recognize this month for LGBTQ people while we have black men being murdered in the streets. And it set up this, oh, okay, you are either this or you are this. And there was no um, nuance to it that, that we can hold multiple identities. So I think that piece uh, that somehow we have to get across even better uh, is we do have multiple identities and, and we have to be able to show up as our, our whole selves. And I will say that I, you know, if I have any piece of pieces of advice, it really is, and I can even just direct this to the, the LGBTQ community, it really is showing up for everybody else and not just showing up for our own events. Right. Uh, it's, you know, often we, we have these demonstrations or we have an event and we question, well, where is everybody? Okay, cool. Where were we when they were having their event, right? Whoever the they is. Uh, and so how can we find those overlaps? How can we uh, bring our whole selves into the mix and, and show up for, for causes that might not immediately be, you know, let's get employment protections and public accommodation and housing, which, oh my gosh, do we need those? Uh, but also are doing more of that ally building. And I, I think we can do better at that. Um, I think last piece for me, you know, the, the other thing we can do better, and I, I want to shout out, you know, Lauren, that everything you said about John and Leon and these incredible LGBT elders, LGBTQ elders, I think we need to do a lot better at these intergenerational conversations. That's not, it's not a huge strength of ours as an LGBTQ community uh, is finding these spaces and these opportunities for different generations to interact and validate each other, you know, so that our elders are not feeling like, why aren't people respecting everything that we put in and our youth aren't saying they, you don't understand what we're dealing with right now. And then all of us in the middle are like, oh, where do we go? So we have to create those opportunities too, because that intergenerational dialogue is so key to us creating and sustaining change. Yeah. I, I, I love what you just said, Ken. I mean, two things you said really resonated with me. The intergenerational part I think is so essential because in order to understand who we are and where we are currently, we really have to understand our past, our legacy, those who came before us, those who did the same work before us, how can we learn from that? And so thinking about some of those elder groups, um, there's a group called OLAC, Old Lesbians Organizing for yes. Change. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's SAGE, um, yeah. there's, you know, a whole array of organizations that um, cater to uh, LGBT members of the community of different age groups. And so, um, you know, Pride is just one event that that has, you know, the power to bring all of us together in that way. But um, I think there needs to be just a broader awareness and, and education and celebration of, of all that members of the LGBT LGBT community have brought to Cleveland. Um, and, and that's where there's really an opportunity in, in the future um, in thinking about programming and education. And I think, you know, the center it does a lot, but what can other institutions, cities, um, centers of faith do um, to educate and, and celebrate uh, members of the community who, who are right there every day doing, you know, adding to the culture? Um, and then also just thinking about showing up. Um, I, I, wanna, I wanna shout out um, people who 
really just show up and go to all the LGBT events. Um, whether you are a, a member of the LGBT community or not, um, it's, it's so important to just show up to learn as an ally. Um, some, a lot of times folks think that um, events are only for the LGBT community mm -hmm. when in fact they, sh they are for everyone. Um, it's okay to be a, uh, an ally and be, be a minority in, in that space. So uh, I think that continued compassion and desire to understand what you don't understand and, and work past your biases, your discriminations uh, is essential, so. Absolutely, well said. You know, we're actually gonna get into our first question from um, the audience. Uh, first question, in terms of hypervisibility, how can those that do continually get tapped for speaking gigs, et cetera, uh, help those outside the queer community find new voices? Is the responsibility really on those outside of the LGBTQ community or does it fall with those visible members who continue to say yes? Both. Can we say both, right? Yeah, like absolutely. It, it, yeah. It, it's definitely both. And and Lauren's heard me say this before, right? Like I, I do think that there are any number, especially when we look at some of our boards, our LGBTQ boards uh, and, and many boards across the board, uh, that, that there are any number of white gay men who, who really do need to step back from the table um, because th th we're simply taking up way too much space. So I do think that there's a responsibility there to, to create you know, this idea of like, oh, that someone's just going to uh, shuffle in there and, and get their voice in the, no, you have to do your part in actually creating space. Um, so I think it's both, uh, I think that you know, I, I can't speak for, for outside organizations, but certainly as someone who has some degree of visibility, you know, I, I, I think it is important that, that as, I, as I said earlier to, that I have a list that sits right here and, 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 and maybe that's something that we need to do a better job as, as an LGBTQ community, that we need that spreadsheet of here are all the different things people are asking for. And if something comes up around military issues, here are three different people without question that you can call on. And here's for, for um, well, they wanna do an event on black trans men. I should not be doing an event and I would never do an event on black trans men, right? But, but I, I, I think that my mind immediately just went to two people and it's the same two people all the time. And that in no way, just as I barely represent myself on any given day, um, if we're only offering forth two viewpoints uh, to represent a whole perspective, that's never going to be complete. Exactly. I, I feel the same way. I think it's, it's both. And I think it's um, those of us who are, who are really visible and uh, often get tapped for opportunities. Uh, it's referring to those who haven't been in, in that same space and encouraging those who may have been hesitant to be in those space to, to, to rise up and, and participate and share their voice. Um, I think, I love that you said you have a list of, of people that you could tap. I mean, when I was doing sister cinema work, we were showing films uh, about the trans community, about the Southeast Asian community, black, uh, you name it, uh, different faith communities. We had films uh, pertaining to all of those various sub-communities within the LGBT realm. So um, we were reaching out to thought leaders in each of those different communities and, and asking those voices to, to be at the table and to lead those conversations. So, um, you know, education and programming continuing to make those experiences that invite unique voices that are usually not heard, you know, and creating those spaces, I think, uh, is one of the things that's often missing. Um, we're not looking at people as being very 
you know, uh, you know, dimensional and, and, and in thinking about those who haven't been uh, visible. That's an excellent point. I just want to remind the audience, if you have questions for either Deidre McPherson or Ken Schneck, uh, you can text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. Or you can also tweet them at the City Club. Um, again, that's at the City Club, and we'll try and work them in. Uh, Deidre, uh, you sit on the board for West 117th Foundation, um, or West 117th. Uh, can you talk about that development a little bit and what people can expect from that? And I think, Ken, you've been working with them a little bit as well, so um, I would love to hear more about that. Sure. So. West 117th Foundation is um, will generate philanthropic resources to support entrepreneurship, the arts, culture, health, and human services uh, to create a hub for Cleveland's LGBTQ ecosystem. And this will be in collaboration with Studio West Development. Uh, Studio West Development is located on the border of, of Lakewood and Cleveland, and uh, it will include fantasy nightclub. It'll include uh, a, a, a lot of amazing drag culture. We have an amazing staff that uh, is creating programs and we'll, we'll be celebrating international drag culture. There'll be uh, barbershops that cater to um, LGBTQ community. Uh, there'll be uh, Margie's Hope, which offers um, apparel and garments for the transgender community. We'll have a store and people can uh, shop and, and be fitted and, and be their full selves in shopping for clothing. Um, it's going to be an amazing development project that um, really fills a gap, um, I think, since places like Bounce have closed down. Um, and it'll work in partnership and very closely with the LGBTQ Center of Greater Cleveland. Um, it'll be located right down the street uh, on Detroit Avenue. So. This project is phenomenal. Another aspect of it will be a field house that will be a space for uh, Stonewall Sports, a home for Stonewall Sports, which we haven't had before. That's a, a national sports league for the community. So that will create a space for um, youth and adults, people of all ages, to participate in sports. Um, like right now, we're we're seeing a big conversation around uh, members of the trans community who have been uh, left out of sports, um, especially uh, trans women. Uh, and so, you know, these are the types of conversations that we're, you know, participating in and advocating for equality and creating a space that will celebrate life and, and allies are welcome too. I mean, everyone is welcome. And um, you can look forward to hearing more about that in the coming year. Um, West 117th Foundation's website has all types of information as well. Uh, and so we're looking for donors, we're looking for funders, we're looking for members of the community who want to get involved and who want to help shape the direction uh, of the programming. So it's, it's really exciting. It's something that's very rare. We, we don't see in a lot of cities and especially not in Cleveland. So some of the um, challenges that we've talked about in our conversation today uh, that relate to how we can be more like Columbus, how we can be more like San Francisco. Um, I, I really think that this, um, the West 117th Foundation and Studio West will really fill that gap. And so you'll see more of that in the coming year.
and we're so excited. Um, I really want, can, can you, I want, to, I want to frame the significance of having this project happening in Cleveland because I know Ken and I, we had a conversation about the social scene historically. Yeah. Um, and I know right now, um, literally there's, we really don't have very many spaces at all socially um, that you can go to, especially with bounce closing and things like that. And I know that there's a national effort to reopen lesbian bars around the country, right? <laughs> I see your heads. Yeah. Um, but can, can you talk about um, historically what it has looked like here and why this project is so huge because of that? Huge. I, I don't know of any other uh, hub like this across the country, truly. You know, there there are neighborhoods, right? There are gayborhoods. Uh, but to have a hub like this that serves so many different purposes is is not like anything I have ever seen anywhere in the country, uh, this, this complex. And I think that that because I've certainly seen the conversations with people saying, but how how is this viable? How is it viable in Cleveland? We had, you know, areas like this. This is what 29th Street used to look like, particularly when the when the center was there and there were all of these different bars and clubs and and Dean Rufus House of Fun, which is still holding down the fort right there. Yes. Uh, on, yes. on, on the yeah. yeah, in that <laughs> in that 28, 29th Street area. Um, and so it, in some ways is getting is is getting back to that right we have to acknowledge right there's a east side west side piece here too of that that uh, it is a, a further consolidation on the west side and so we always want to make sure that we're looking at transportation issues and and but that also has historically been a conversation in cleveland is where have these uh, hubs been centered so in, in some ways it's it's a return to the way that cleveland the Cleveland LGBTQ community used to come together, but it, then it's like next leveled up. It's an augmentation uh, with all of these different services. You know, we we did a piece, the Buckeye Flame did a piece, uh, I think two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, uh, right before Margie's Closet opened right there in, the, in that um, 117th Street hub. And we weren't sure like, all right, we're, we're gonna put this piece out there. That thing went viral like you have no idea. Uh, it, it quickly became in, in the year that we've been around that piece on Margie's closet uh, became one of our top three most viewed and shared pieces uh, in about 48 hours. And again, it's that there's this huge variety of services that are going to be there that it's it, that the entertainment piece is, is really big. Right. And and us having spaces that we can go to that that, you know, we often hear the argument, too, about, well, but you're accepted everywhere and straight bars. You can go to a straight bar. Right. Um, cool. That's great. At the end of the day, I, I speak from the eye, um, I am living in a state that I do not have equal protections from the people sitting next to me. And there is language enshrined uh, in, in uh, the Ohio legislature that, that prevents me from adopting even nominally, even though I'm not legally prevented from that. And I'm living in a state where they just wrote into the budget uh, last the budget last week uh, for healthcare agencies and uh, medical providers to be able to deny services to the LGBTQ community uh, based on their moral, ethical, and religious beliefs. And I can just keep going and going. At the end of the day, I, I really would like to be around other LGBTQ people. So um, it, it's it's ancillary that that there are straight bars that are accepting or straight clubs. Um, I want to go where I know that I can be around my people who are dealing with some of the same adversity that I am encountering and hear other people's stories. So it's a hugely significant development uh, and, 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 and it require that we all come out and support it and yes. not do it from afar. 
Absolutely. This leads me actually to a question that we have from the audience. I am a younger, newly out and proud professional. And I'm wondering just simply, how is the best way to get involved, mm. network, be a part of the greater work that is happening in the city? I love that question. Me yeah. too. Yeah. This is why visibility <laughs> is important, right? Uh, yeah. Just, even I, just this conversation. I, I have to say, um, I think there's no way we can over, there's so many different options and I, and I hope you two provide a ton of options because uh, yeah. you all are so unbelievably connected to, to wonderful opportunities. I will say that um, I, I don't think we can overestimate uh, the gathering place that is Stonewall Sports. Yeah. Um, I, they have done incredible work over the past four years uh, to bring people together in these uh, low maintenance, casual atmospheres where you can get together with a different group of people. Maybe not so much the dodgeball. I heard they're intense, but uh, you know, there's dodgeball and kickball and volleyball. And and I have to say, my favorite that I'm always signed up for is bocce ball, where where you are just strolling on down to Edgewater Park, and there are these intergenerational teams and these interracial teams, and uh, and people are coming together uh, and and throwing you know, these heavy balls on the grass and you're having these conversations and it's super, super low maintenance. Uh, so I, I love that that's a new thing that has that has really popped up in the in the past four years. I, I can speak to Stonewall Sports too. I participated in uh, softball a few times over the summer and it was just a great way to meet other members of the community. It was like high school gym or something, <laughs> except it was, um, you know, through Stonewall Sports. So I, I had an amazing time participating in that. Um, I'd also recommend joining the email list, not to sound like a commercial, but <laughs> join the email list for the LGBT Community Center and join an email list of Buckeye Flame and other um, LGBT focused organizations, because those are where, that's where you're going to hear about various you know, discussion groups or resources for if you want to start a family or if you're thinking about investing, um, you know, what does it look like as a same-sex couple investing or, or parties and all of those things. So regardless of the issue or the interest that you have, um, those, those are two things that I think would be a, a great place to start. Yeah, I would add to that uh, the center for obvious reasons and then Buckeye Flame, but also the Plexus LGBT. Yeah. Chamber of Commerce. I mean, they have had, for those who are allergic to sports, um, they have had rooftop events, you know, you know, um, Sage and Maven is having a mm -hmm. Juneteenth event that's happening, you know, on Friday and it's queer led, right? I mean, um, and I know about all these things because I do follow the Buckeye Flame and Plexus and a lot of, you know, queer led organizations. Um, so I would concur. Um, I'm going to ask another question from the audience. How are we doing on LGBTQ plus representation and visibility in politics? And is this a leading indicator of more of something that follows pop culture, sports, et cetera? What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, that's a hard one. Um, the, the, the Victory Fund has, uh, the, the National Gay and Lesbian Victory Fund has endorsed a ton of out LGBTQ candidates uh, in the upcoming elections, um, as they did last year, but not a ton of them were successful uh, in their election attempts. So if you look at Columbus and, and you look at the state house there, I mean, it's great. I mean, talk about constantly pivoting to one name. We are constantly pivoting to talk about the wonderful, wonderful work of Senator Nikki Antonio. Yeah. Uh, but 
we also have to pivot to that presence because there really aren't other legislators at that statewide level. Um, and it's not for lack of trying, you know, through the Buckeye flame, it's been incredible to, we, we really try to uh, profile every LGBTQ candidate across the state. Uh, and it's one thing to talk about being an out candidate in Cleveland, but speaking with some of these out candidates in these uh, red areas, holy crud, um, they, what they are encountering and, and just the blatant homophobia and, and how dare you even be out, you're pushing it in our faces, we're not voting you for that. I mean, this is a real piece. Um, I think that's one of the challenges for, for us in Cleveland. We, we are in Cuyahoga County that does have legal protections for the LGBTQ community, uh, but that also, I think, creates a responsibility on our part to be, you know, what kind of networking can we do across the state of Ohio? Because we are constantly covering in the Buckeye Flames some just dastardly stories uh, of of just dastardly stories of homophobia and discrimination um, that, that we would say would hope we would hope to, don't happen here, but we also know that they're happening here as well. So I, th I think that perspective is, is really important. We're, we're doing really well, I think, LGBTQ representation and visibility in candidates. Um, we're not doing great at successful elections. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think we could still see a lot more candidates. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of diversity uh, in, in LGBTQ uh, people of color running for office um, with a few exceptions. I'm thinking about um, uh, Mario Clapton Zimler as, as one person who I'm, I advocate for, but um, we could use a lot more representation because we know that um, you know, those who participate in, in politics um, you know, bringing their full selves and advocating for for all. I think when you're part of multiple marginalized groups, uh, you know, it doesn't give you a pass in terms of all DEI things, but um, it definitely gives you a, a different perspective uh, because you've been marginalized because of your gender, because of your orientation, because of your race, uh, or because of your your economic status. Yeah, and you know, I, one of the things I wanted to add to that is. Um, one of the things that I'm always uh, helping people to understand is that if they come for us in the night, they come for you in the morning, right? So when you deny uh, people in these spaces, LGBTQ plus individuals in these spaces, when you deny um, marginalized individuals from rights and protections, you're next, right? Mm -hmm. And it's us advocating for the most marginalized of us um, that we're able to have safer communities for all of us. Um, speaking of another marginalized community, we have another question. Uh, Latinx members of our community are struggling to find their place locally in the LGBTQ plus community over the lack of resources in Spanish. Um, how do you suggest organizations get a handle on that? That's a great question. Can we just say yes? Is that that doesn't feel like an adequate answer? Uh, yeah, that's an amazing question, and and I think that that offering materials in Spanish is huge. Uh, we've been looking at that a lot on the journalism side. Um, our colleagues over, I'm always just happy to give shout outs to just people doing incredible work. Um, and our colleagues over at La Mega Nota are doing wonderful work uh, to, to get some of our stories out there uh, in Spanish. Um, and so that's that's been a wonderful aspect, but it really is that intentionality, right? We, we 
uh, have to look at our websites and we have to look at our promotional materials and we have to look at our newsletters um, and and how much are we offering them in Spanish? Uh, and the answer is, well, let me again speak from the eye for the Buckeye Flame, zero, right? It's a, it's a, it's a big old goose egg. And so there's there's so much more work that, that, that we have to do there. Oh man, that's not a satisfying answer at all. I know, I was like- <laughs> We got a lot of work to do, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we do. Um, and, and I'll, a, I'll um, add to that, you know, I'm from Ohio City. It was black and brown when I was growing up, right? And so I know the Latinx community is very large here. Um, and I know we need to be doing a lot more work. I also think that it's so important, again, when we talk about visibility and representation, to bring those folks to the table, right? You know, even as a, you know, a black woman, you know, it's uh, that my lived experience is not the same as theirs. And so beyond just saying, okay, I need to change the newsletter and make sure that it, 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 we do have it in Spanish. I'm also thinking to myself, I'm like, we need them on the board. We need mm -hmm. them in the community. We need um, Latinx individuals. To, we need to bring them into the fold because there's, I'm sure there's so many other things that we're missing um, about how to connect with that community um, that we are not thinking about. Um, we actually have five minutes left in the forum. I just want to um, conclude with what are your hopes for the future of the community in this region? You know, we're so grateful to have the City Club and Annisville Wolf Book Awards and the Buckeye Flame and Sister Cinema. That it touched my life. So I'm going to continue to bring it up too. And the center and all of these organizations um, that we know and love that are committed to storytelling and bringing our stories to light. What are your hopes um, for the future of this region? I, I've talked about this a little bit, but just thinking about education, um, especially among those who are not, you know, who aspire to be allies of the LGBT community. Um, I think that is, I want to see more education around that. Someone asked me if I was transsexual the other day and, uh, that was a huge, you know, red flag that, you know, there needs to be more education around, um, around language and identities. Um, also thinking about um, the violence against uh, the transgender community. I'd like to see that, that be eradicated. Um, you know, there have been, we have events like the Trans, trans Day of Remembrance that, um, we shouldn't have to have those events, you know, where, where people are being uh, murdered simply for um, being themselves. So um, seeing violence against trans people in Cleveland and, and just around the world, I'd love to see that uh, come, come to an end. And then thinking about homeless LGBT youth um, and foster care, uh, you know, Ken brought up um, that point earlier and, you know, we've got to, we've got to find homes for, for youth and we've got to, stop having spaces where you know that that ends up being the case where they where they are homeless so um you know we've really got to create the resources and the programs to um end those things and in cleveland i mean i'm just excited about um the opportunities ahead you know we have an amazing pride event we have um a gayborhood coming up with studio west and um, so things are, are things are looking great, but we also are are still facing all these major challenges and and have a way to go uh, and, and creating those intersectional spaces where um, you know where our Latinx brothers and sisters and mm -hmm. and members of other diaspora are 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 celebrated and visible and affirmed. 
Absolutely. Yeah, you- I want to I want to pick up that baton and run with it even further and and just say I I desperately want to see more inspired activism. Uh, I want us to get back to some of the old school uh, ACT UP, AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power activism where, where we are doing some more disruption uh, to get equal rights, you know, so that I can go today and go give blood, which I can't do, right? That, that, that some of this unbelievably discriminatory language is erased from the Ohio budget and from uh, Ohio legislative language uh, that there are, look, incredible organizations. And certainly we, we always want to shout out the incredible work that Equality Ohio is doing on that legislative front, um, even as, right, period. And there are other ways to do activism too. It doesn't have to only be through the legislative process. Um, and I, I would pivot back to that's where I think our elders have so much to teach us. And there has been unbelievably inspired activism in Cleveland's LGBTQ history. Uh, and I think we need to get back to some of that because we are letting uh, a lot of this just happen and, and go through one specific way of trying to get our rights. And that's only one way. Uh, and it's a great way and yay for legislative processes and absolutely everybody go out there and vote. And also there are other ways to move the needle and I would love to see us get back to some of that activism. Well, thank you so much, Deidre and Ken, for being a part of this conversation today. Again, I'm Lauren Welch, uh, Marketing Communications at the LGBT Community Center of Greater Cleveland. You can visit us at lgbtcleveland.org to find more ways uh, to advocate and celebrate the community. And I'm going to pass it to Karen Long. Welcome back, Karen. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for the City Club's Pride Forum. We benefited today from the insights of arts consultants, Deidre McPherson, and the editor of the Buckeye Flame, Ken Schneck, and from our moderator, Lauren Welch, Marketing and Communications Manager at the LGBT Community Center of Greater Cleveland. Today's forum is sponsored by the Cleveland Foundation and the Annisfield Wolf Book Awards. Our community partner is the LGBT Community Center of Cleveland. We appreciate all its support and partnership in planning and executing today's forum. Thank you of you, Lauren. All City Club virtual forums are free thanks to generous support from the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District and PNC. You can join them in supporting the City Club's mission by making a contribution online, becoming a member, or texting the word donate to 216-616-CLUB that's 216-616-2582. And follow the easy steps to make a donation. I'm Karen Long. Thanks for joining us today. Happy Pride. And our forum is adjourned.